The following program is rated TV MALSV. It contains strong language, sexual situations, and violence. It is intended only for mature audiences. Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is normally a weekly X-Men podcast where we read every story from A to Z, but not this week. Uh, that's Adam. I'm Zach. I'm Adam. <laughs> no, that's him. That's him. That's Adam. I'm Zach. And this week we have a special guest. You may Ooh. know her from being on this podcast many times over the years. Also from great books like X-Factor, The Trial of Magneto, Giant Men, a Adventure Time miniseries once, I think. <laughs> it's Leah Williams. Leah, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to do our uh, kind of annual check-in here that we've done every single year that I've been writing for Marvel. Every We were just talking about this. It's been five years wow. that you've been writing for Marvel. Is that weird? It is. It is weird. It feels like so much longer. <laughs> it feels like... Uh, this is all I've ever known. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're, I think we're all we're all happy to have you on this show. And we're here specifically this week to talk about a very interesting project of yours. And it's a little unique uh, from, I think, a lot of the stuff that you know, Marvel tends to put out. Uh, we're talking about Exterminators, Leah, with you and that Carlos Gomez that comes out uh, as if you guys are listening to this when this airs. Comes out Wednesday. Go pick it up. Yeah. Uh, first issue comes out September 21st, uh, 2022. And I've been writing this since, um, let's see, I think about like summer 2021. Um, it's <laughs> It's been a while. Uh, it was delayed. Um, so by the time I'm, you know, getting ready and like doing these kinds of interviews and stuff to promote the first issue. I'm completely finished with writing the book. Like it is mm-hmm. pretty far in the rear view mirror, but I am always excited to talk about it. Um, and the uh, title we were originally going to go with for this book, which was Jonathan Hickman's idea is actually grind house of X. So oh, I should nice. tell you um, <laughs> a bit more about kind of the flavor and the nature of this book. It is my first book with a parental advisory rating which is also yeah, very let's, exciting let's let's talk about those two <laughs> things here and leah you don't need to answer this question i'll direct this question to adam adam on a scale of one to ten how large of cowards are the marvel comics corporation for not calling this grindhouse of x leah please well, don't answer i don't want to incriminate actually no no, no, no. You, earmuffs, i actually leah, earmuffs Okay. I just want to, I want to, well, first of all, yes, they're cowards. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I actually wanted to to ask about this because um, Leah, I had read that this, this is such a long gestating like idea that the, I guess the original pitch like around the table was Dazzler Vampire Hunter. Was that? It was. Yeah. So it was during um, a creative retreat. I think it might've been actually C2E2 2020 you know, before the last comic book happened. convention. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was originally Jerry's idea and he brought it up. Like, you know, I 
kind of have been kicking around this thought of Dazzler the Vampire Slayer, but uh, never really done anything with it. And then I immediately lost my shit. Like, are you kidding me? Jerry, that's amazing. You have to do it. That's the best thing I've ever fucking heard. And he was like, Leah, it's yours. Take it. If you want it, if you want this book to exist, do it. And you know, it's it's not like he was going to be busy writing X-Men or anything. Um, Jerry's keeping himself, uh, he's keeping himself pretty, pretty hectic right now. He's got a lot of irons in the fire. (laughs) He has a lot of stuff going on. He's got a lot of iron Um, men in the fire as well. He's got a lot of iron things going. So, uh... Yeah, I wasn't going to say no to that. And um, there were a few different incarnations of Dazzler the Vampire Slayer before we got to Exterminators as it is today. And it was going to start out being um, a webcomic, like one of the uh, vertical scrolling comics on um, the Marvel Unlimited app. And um, I just thought it would be a good place for that and maybe have kind of like a YA feel to it. But then, um, you know, as time went on and I finished up the trial of Magneto, I was like, no, I want to do Grindhouse, actually. I, I want to run in the furthest direction from YA and do um, Grindhouse. I, I want this to be a Grindhouse book. Um, and I was just going to I was just going to say, yeah, that's that's a pretty, pretty large tonal shift there, Leah. Uh, was it freeing to be like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to I'm going to do this big dumb raunchy violent thing and this like explosion of id it um was incredibly freeing it just felt like i keep saying that this is the funnest and easiest gig i've ever had um and part of the reason is you know like you said it is pure id there there are zero brain cells i am using to write this book jerry <laughs> says that it's my magnum opus i don't know what that says about either of us uh, <laughs> and it's it's just been a blast and I, I i was just ready to write something that required no thinking i think especially after trial of magneto i didn't want to think i didn't want to do anything um kind of tumultuous or uh, like overly difficult to conceptualize or anything like that. I was ready for a break. And Mm -hmm. to me, you know, that was my beeline towards Grindhouse. And uh, that was when the X office started calling it Grindhouse of X because Jonathan, you know, heard what I wanted to do and had that idea for the title on uh, one of our X office Krakoan council meetings via Zoom. Um, (laughs) And so we just started calling it that. And then the cast kind of took shape where uh, it was just going to be like Dazzler and her adventures. But then, um, you know, I expressed I expressed an interest in some of the other explosive mutants. So Teeny kind of shuffled some stuff around and made room for me to take on Jubilee. Uh, and then, you know, Boom Boom wasn't up to anything. <laughs> she wasn't right. busy. She, so I just she didn't her. get elected to join the X-Men. <laughs> For some reason, I I couldn't Um, tell you why. I'm not even sure that would have stopped me if she had. (laughs) (laughs) I think we still could have made it work. Um, And then uh, the last member of the cast to join was, of course, Laura Kinney. And the way that this came about was um, 
Jerry cares about her a lot and like mm-hmm. her role within kind of the larger X-Men universe. So he brought up uh, the fact that she was going to be done with uh, the Children of the Vault story and kind of ready to reenter like the larger X-Men uh, context of what's going on. And so I immediately called dibs because I could see it. This is when the book like really crystallized in my mind and took shape. I could see it so clearly the moment that she became a possibility of being on my cast and the way that I describe her presence on the team is she is the pinch of salt you add to brownie batter to make it all the sweeter. (laughs) She is just like the perfect foil to the chaos that is the rest of the cast. Because that cast is chaotic. I mean, that's, that's a, that's the right word for it. Dazzler has been going through some stuff over the years, never really found her footing after her initial appearances. And once the eighties died, they weren't sure what to do. I mean, she was outdated when she appeared. Disco was already dead when she showed up. So she's always been a little bit off, off kilter. And then you have boom, boom and Jubilee um, who are not stable. (laughs) (laughs) I want to go back to what you were talking about, you know, how this is like, you know, a, a product of your id. Um, I was thinking we we were lucky enough. You shared the uh, the first couple issues of this with us, and uh, I could not help but think that this is the most Leah thing that you've ever gotten a chance to publish, probably since Gwenpool. Thank you, thank you. I'm. I hope that's a compliment. It's a I'm huge compliment, compliment. Um, because oh, it. it oh, oh, oh. It's it's abs- I think it's absolutely a compliment, Leah. I do think it's also it low key a roast, but I'm I'm gonna own that. <laughs> I like to, I like to think it it if there are people who are aware of the Leah Williams TM brand of uh, yucks and jokes, uh, they're going to understand if they're gonna vibe with this comic real quick or not. Like it's it opens up with a nice good shot of, and I'm quoting here. Dazzler's juicy dumper that says Praxis on it. And I feel like if you get that, you're going to understand this book immediately. Yeah, yeah. From panel one, the Praxis booty shorts. Um, if if you're vibing with that, then you're in for a good time. It if... makes a statement. It really does. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, that was like one of those uh, – visual images that came to me really early on and working on this book like I knew I had to put her in some Praxis hot pants and it's kind of an esoteric joke but also I love it enough that I don't care (laughs) (laughs) so how much of the pitch are you like when you're going out and you know doing interviews and press um, how much of the actual pitch of the story beyond the cast and the the tone and the genre of the book are you are you sharing? Because, uh, you know, as as I read, there were a lot of fun surprises along the way that I, I kept being very very happily uh, surprised by. So, what how to what extent are you sharing with the with the public to get them excited about this book? That's a good question. Um, I haven't been kind of sharing much, uh, you know, in, in the interest of spoilers and that kind of thing, but, um, having completed the book now and, uh, knowing where it concludes and how much it escalates and maintains the same (laughs) sort of tone the entire time, 
Um, I can definitely, with absolute confidence and conviction, say that there is no way people will be able to anticipate how good the ending is going to make you feel. <laughs> I love it. Um, it. It is one of my like favorite things that I've ever written. Um, it, with every everything that I write that has, um, you know, a sequential story coming after it, I always try to one up myself and I want, uh, issue two to be bigger than issue one, issue three to be bigger than them both issue mm-hmm. four and so on. And so I knew with issue five, I, I had to keep up that same energy and make it, uh, really, really, um, leave a lasting impression and kind of blow people away pun intended um and i'm i'm so stoked uh with how it's turning out we got some uh inks back from carlos um like the final climactic pages that um people are going to be obsessed with i'm sure um (laughs) and they're just gorgeous so would you say that the marvel universe will never be the same once uh once this book comes out yes i am literally affecting the canon (laughs) <laughs> that's good that's good you know i know kieran's doing a lot of stuff right now over in his little corner but i do i do think that uh the big cannons that you're going to be affecting here are kind of uh something that people need to be watching out for including a literal cannon like a rocket launcher because you know <laughs> explosive mutants not enough you gotta have you gotta have more explosions i feel like there is there more is the better. A, I don't know. I feel like too many books have just too low of a density of explosions. And I think you're course correcting on that in a way that really, you know, resets the bar for everybody. It's like the spiders, George meme, like, you know, the one I'm talking about. I Leah. Yes. I unfortunately (laughs) always know the meme you're talking about. (laughs) So there's this like Tumblr relic from 2014 or something like that. The relic of eight years ago. I mean, for the people who are going to be listening to this, it is a relic. Uh, And um, it starts out with one poster saying, like, the average person eats a certain amount of (laughs) spiders in their sleep every single year. And then somebody replied to it and they were like, actually, um, Spiders George, who lives in a cave, eats 10,000 spiders a day. He is an outlier and should not have been counted. <laughs> that <laughs> is actually very became, good like, statistical pasta. analysis right there. <laughs> <laughs> it just became a meme. So that's uh, the role that Exterminators fulfills within the larger uh, Marvel canon. You know, we, we are the explosions. explosive outlier. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I think it's interesting because it's a... I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this in a very complimentary way, so everyone understands. Leah, this is a dumb book. Yes, is it big... is intentionally dumb. Yes, and I love that about it. It is gleefully love... dumb. It is transgressive. It is just stupid. Like, it is... <laughs> I feel like there is a there is a part of... And I'm going to get on my pedestal of X-Men fans... Uh, who may want to take time and do like page by page annotations of different books and like really get into the details of look at how smart this is and how that validates that. I do not want people to do that with exterminators. I want you to like forget everything and enjoy it. I feel like it'd be hard to do that with exterminators. You'd be like, 
This is a good joke they did. That was funny. <laughs> it's funny that they said this thing. I think that's really that's real. That made me chuckle. I had a sensible one there. <laughs> and in issue four, what we what we have Jubilee and Boom Boom doing here is called kink shaming. Kink shaming <laughs> is when you uh, shame somebody for their particular fetishes. Yeah, but like you know, there could be little footnotes that someone could do about you know the, what this is referencing, or you know, I don't know. You could, but I don't know why you would want to. No, it, it would it would it, take away that's, from that's it. That's called over explaining the joke, which I'm doing right now to you. <laughs> But at the same uh, time, this does not feel like, you know, particularly pop culture referency. Like, like there's, does there's have... dumb and then there's dumb and they're two very different things. And it's hard to explain the difference between. This is dumb and then parentheses complimentary. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> this is not like, I think there's a habit and I, I think you see this a lot at like comic conventions where there's a lot of very small press guys who are it's X meets Y and it's like, it's unicorns meets zombie vampires. And it's just like, it's just like a loony crazy idea. And it, that, that always to me feels dumb in a way. It's like, I don't want to enjoy this. This book feels dumb in a very different way. It feels dumb in a way that it's not even winking to the audience. It's just saying it's, it's getting to the core of what big actiony superhero stories are in a very similar vein to something like Next Wave did. That was like, yeah. hey, we're just going to go all out and you're going to enjoy this. Oddly enough, also a book with uh, Boom Boom in it. <laughs> Why do you think she's so well suited to big, dumb things? Um, I think that her final form, like her final Pokemon evolution is uh, kind of chaotic good bimbo boom boom like i i feel very strongly about the bimbofication of boom boom just because it's a sort of camouflage for her to like hide her vulnerability and loneliness mm. and kind of be the life of the party at the same time um and i think it is what makes her so well suited to these sorts of you know uh extremely high energy uh books where she's kind of rattling off like jokes and, and punchlines and having the time of her life while kicking ass at the same time. Well, we wandered away from something Zach brought up early on, and that is the uh, parental advisory that starts each one of these. And I, there's a certain comedic uh, deal with each one of these because they're not all the same. Um, they change from issues to issue. I also got bored of the gag around I think, <laughs> three and then stopped doing it. <laughs> okay. That's great. That's great. So just, can you walk us through, I, I guess what I'm curious about is, you know, beyond the idea of, of, you know, the whole comics rating, whatever, and like giving people a heads up, like what is the relationship between like the creative team and actually having to run this thing by a certain I guess standards and is there a standards and practices group that there, like has there to is. There look at these is. things? Okay, and this has been um, just a phenomenal experience in what we've been allowed to get away with. In every single issue, there's at least a page or two that I'm extremely partial towards, but um, embraced for them to be cut immediately because that's kind of what I'm accustomed to. Right. So right. in <laughs> In issue one, it's like the 
opening bar dialogue between Jubilee and Boom Boom, mm. where Jubilee is just kind of like roasting the way Boom Boom dressed up um, yeah. <laughs> for this outing. And like Boom Boom's kind of taking it in stride, like, awesome, great, I love it. Why is that a problem? Um, and I was so sure that it would get cut, but it didn't. And then in issue two, there's like a circumcision joke. Uh, or maybe that's issue three. I don't know. There's something in every issue that I'm like, okay, crossing my fingers. Please don't get cut. Please don't get cut. And it's all getting passed. And I think that's really saying something because I didn't even know about the parental advisory rating until issue three. I was scripting oh. issue three when I found out, when Jordan asked me actually, like, what are you thinking in terms of the rating? Um I am thinking parental advisory. And I was like, oh, that's an option? Yes, absolutely. And then <laughs> I immediately began stress testing the boundaries of what a parental advisory rating can do. And um, I think it becomes evident in yeah. uh, issue three. In three. Yeah, well, and I, sure. I like that you're holding back on that. You don't want to, you don't want to, you know, blow your load on that way too soon. You want to build up to it. I mean, that's what that's what those explosion girls are gonna gonna do for you. They're gonna help you out. You know, hold it into the right moment, and then boom, bam, right there. Get you, get mm -hmm. you when you're least expecting it. Just cascading explosions, yeah. <laughs> just, just everywhere. So you're having, you, all right. So you find out that this is an option. You're having these conversations with Jordan, who's then passing these things up the chain. Things are making it. Um, did it ever, over the course of you know making the book, get to a point where? you you finally got shut down and you don't have to give specific examples, but you know, I'm just wondering like at what point were the upper limits tested to the point where like you actually had to dial it back or, or did you just, Never. Hey, it flew. Um, that hasn't happened. I and it. it's so whenever there is kind of like, you know, using the kink shaming example in issue four, um, <laughs> Jubilee and Boom Boom are kink shaming the main villain for having a piss fetish and they're calling him like little piss baby, little pee boy, loves his pee. Like it, it's explicit. And when I first turned that in, um, Jordan was like, I know I'm going to have to ask for permission about this specifically. And it felt like playing a game of chicken, you know, yeah. like you thought, you think, you think Jordan, Jordan, Jordan D. White was comfortable going up to the Paris and being like, here's the piss page. Uh, it's not what it sounds like, but. But it is. You really, you really want the piss page. Um, and that page was approved. So that Love should uh, really tell you something. Well, I think, it, you know what it is, though? I really think that it, it it just feels freeing to read this. You know, I, I just wish that there was a little bit more liberty uh, for creators to, like, cut loose like this. Because it's more, I don't know, there's something really, really fun about this um, and, and allowing the characters to kind of just do something a little bit different and a little more outsized than normal. So I'm I'm really happy that, especially of the writers that could be doing this, you are the perfect person to be doing this. I'm really happy that it turned out this way too. And I think part of the success in the formula of Exterminators was the fact that we, from the start, kind of carved out a space for me to do something like this. Uh -huh. um, and that was always the plan after Trial of Magneto to kind of, you know, 
have an opportunity to do my sort of like blue sky thinking wish list um, book, which, you know, ended up being a parental advisory grindhouse book. And um, it, it it's not something that is destructive to like the larger, larger Marvel universe or anything like that. I'm not um, destroying anybody else's world building. It, it takes place within the world of exterminators. And I think that's um, probably pretty helpful too. So, you know, like what's, what's some spicy dialogue compared to me if, if I had wanted to be like, okay, I'm going to blow up Krakoa, you know, then <laughs> they that wouldn't even get past the pitch stage to Jordan. Right. I'd be like, no. <laughs> I got this island already. I'd really like it if you would, uh, yeah, not blow it up. <laughs> <laughs> I can almost imagine a scenario where there is maybe like a director's cut of this mini. Is that like ever something that might I think get the thrown only- around? The only thing that would be included in the director's cut is the way that I script because I story for readers, but I script to make Jordan and Carlos laugh. Like I (laughs) script knowing that like they're going to be reading it. And if it's not enjoyable for them, then what's the point, you know? So the way that I communicate is really important to me and that I want the script to be um, as fun and accessible as possible for all my collaborators, which means that like my descriptions, the, the references that I'm including are all sort of geared towards um, who's going to be reading the script. And um, Carlos is having the time of his life. He is having so much fun with this book and I'm very happy about that. Let's talk about Carlos. Yeah, let's talk about Carlos Gomez, because you've worked with Carlos in the past. I know he did some fill-ins for X Factor, but you also worked with him on The Amazing Mary Jane, a mm. series that unfortunately uh, was was lost in the great uh, comics shutting down for a little bit thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, um and working with Carlos on Amazing Mary Jane is exactly why I requested to work with him on Exterminators. Mary Jane's uh, still stuck in that desert, right? Like nothing's happened with her since. Is that <laughs> my understanding? No, no. So you know, you wanted you wanted to work with him after that that book. What does he bring to this table? Because I feel like you need a very specific artist for a book like this. Well, he draws really sexy people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember during Amazing Mary Jane, we'd get inks back and I would write these notes to our editor, Kathleen Wisniewski, that was just like, all my notes said was just bisexual panic because <laughs> both Mary Jane and Quentin Beck were so hot that I'm like, how am I yeah, thirsting Quentin after Beck, a guy with a bowl cut? Like, what's <laughs> happening? And the fact that, you know, Carlos made me thirsty for someone with a bowl cut, a villain, (laughs) no less, like that's power, that's power. And he also brings a lot of, um, you know, kinetic energy and dynamism to everything that Mm. he draws. And with exterminators, you know, all of this action and the explosions and their expressions, I knew he would knock it out of the park and he absolutely has been. Yeah, there's there's definitely a a real... Uh, like vivid quality to the action scenes, but just the way in which the two of you have collaborated on what the characters look like on a basic level 
you know, there is, um, like you said, there's a sexiness to these characters that we may not have seen elsewhere. You know what I mean? Um, we, we often see these characters in full costumes and that that's, a, you know, its own look, but the fact that they are all kind of casual and, you know, doing their thing, like they were going to go to a bar before they get into this adventure. Um, it, it's, it's a really, really good asset to the story. I think so too. And it kind of adds to what makes this book so fun. The fact that we're playing dress up with the characters because, yeah. uh, there's not just one or two, but three distinct costume changes with the mm-hmm. cast. And <laughs> one of those costume changes is a result of um, in my script for one issue, we have kind of a flash forward uh, right. to like future consequences of what's happening now. And I told Carlos, like, put them in whatever costumes you want, but they have to be weird. Like clown girl, cheerleader, school girl, nurse, sexy nurse. Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, right, right, right. No, whatever it's, you it's, want um, with them. It's the stuff that you would find uh, for $30 at the Fredericks of Hollywood. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like sexy Halloween costumes, you know? And um, I was just like, I will reverse engineer it and figure out how to get them into those costumes later. <laughs> And I did. I figured out a way that they, that Boom Boom ends up in a clown girl outfit, which is my particular favorite. And um, it's just been so much fun in that regard. Well, I think those costumes have been released on the latest cover that just came out today. Uh, You got, you got Sailor Moon dressed Jubilee. It's a, it's a whole, whole vibe. Yeah, yeah. Dazzler's in a cheerleading outfit. Laura Kinney is in like a witch costume. It's a very practical witch costume. It just has a big. It hat. is. It is. I well, like Carlos and I agree that Laura is kind of not the stuffy one, but she would definitely, you know, in she's the, in the one context that they end up in these costumes. She's not going to be the one reaching for like the skimpy cheerleader outfit that Dazzler has on. <laughs> you know, she's right. going to choose the one that covers the most skin. I think that's a a good segue to talking about a character that I absolutely love uh, and and I I wanted to ask you about, and that is Jubilee. Jubilee has, you know, ever since, what is that, X-Men Volume 3, when Shogo showed up, um, had been on sort of a a ride, you know what I mean? Like there's been highs and lows for the character, but a lot of the time that she has been in stories, uh, and this is no insult to what Teeny has done with the character. She has not been in a, you know, a starring role or, you know, has not really been in the, in the limelight. Um, She's at this point at this, you know, point in her character history where she's kind of complicated you know, like she's not the little kid from the animated series anymore. She's, you know, a mom, um, an ex-vampire and, and, you know, she's got the whole vampire history thing, which factors, you know, a little bit into the story here. So how do you, how do you approach wanting to get this character back to kind of like an adult version of the quippy teen that we all remember from the nineties? Well, she has these really formative experiences, um, you know, all of the events that you just mentioned, and she's just carrying them forward with her. It doesn't kind of change her most important intrinsic qualities about what makes Jubilee Jubilee, which is, you know, she's 
fiercely intelligent. She's hilarious. She's quippy, um, fast on her feet, like kind of a shit show, but in the best way possible, <laughs> um, a lovable shit show. Uh, and you, you just kind of compile it into like a patchwork quilt of her qualities. And this is one of my favorite things about writing her and writing other characters like her when they have kind of all of these different attributes that factor in over time and it, they all create these really complicated but beautiful patchwork quilts of qualities that I, I always want to keep in my line of sight while I'm writing them. Mm. So did you ever consider then, Leah, uh, just having Jubilee wear a baby Bjorn the entire uh, miniseries? Like, or were you like, you know what, maybe maybe she can hire a babysitter like one <laughs> night in her life? Well, going into Exterminators, I already knew of kind of different story circumstances of why Shogo wouldn't be an issue. I, I don't know if those have already come out or not, so I'm not going to spoil anything or. Well, isn't Shogo in Otherworld? It's just like yes. a dragon, but he's just like vibing i guess i don't know yeah but he's i don't know how much of that is just like oh he's gonna be vibing as a dragon for a while now no 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 but but isn't isn't shogo there and jubilee is back yes everyone's back yeah but oh wait this book was wait this after knights of x isn't wait no yes yeah wait we're okay to say i don't know i don't know i don't Listen, hasn't... <laughs> a lot of comics. I you think I can keep up with everything? I live a very busy life. I've read all those stories. Do I remember everything that's happened three weeks ago? No, I remember that the lesbians finally kissed, and I was very happy for them. <laughs> and then they they saved Gambit from uh, that bad Peter Milligan story again. And that's what I remember. I think I'm right. I hope I'm right. Um, Shogo is being fostered in Otherworld because of his magic potential. There we go. And when we pick up with Jubilee, um, it's right after uh, this has happened. So my uh, approach towards her in the beginning is she's feeling a little untethered, a little aleatory, um, kind of not sure what her next move is. She has never been without Shogo for this long, and she's feeling a little lost. So, of course... um, you know, when she gets this opportunity, uh, we find her wearing like a dirty tank top and just kind of hanging out watching TV, like total couch potato hours. And Dazzler is like, we're drinking tonight. And Jubilee is like, yes, we are. Absolutely. Yes. That, that is a very tired mom with her first day not having a kid in a little bit kind of vibe. I've gotten yeah. to see that in person, and that rings eerily true. Yeah, that's exactly the uh, the kind of vibe that I wanted to open with when uh, we first see Jubilee. So, Leah, I got to ask, now that you have been cut loose and untethered in this way, I mean, moving forward with future creative projects, I mean, do we anticipate that we're going to get you know, this kind of level of, I don't know, like this level of your, all of your stuff is always fun to me. Um, I'm just curious if like this level of uh, creative freedom and, and letting the characters cut loose is, is going to be sort of like the new standard or is this like a, this was a one-time special that, that we let like Leah cut 
loose and do supermarket well, sweep. I, I think I think a different way to ask that would be, you know, you've gotten you've gotten a chance after a big emotional story with like Trial of Magneto to cut loose and just do something wacky and fun and a little less with a little less, you know, high soap opera emotions in it. Is that a mode that you want to stay in or are you looking to get back to I don't want to say meteor, but more, you know, like quote unquote deeper stories? Um, I could probably, if they let me, I would love to keep writing stories like Exterminator. Uh, this does feel like a more of kind of one-off situational thing where mm. um, this is the most Leah book that I think readers will have seen. Um, but I'm also happy that it exists Uh for that exact regard like now you guys know what i really look like on the page you know mm. what my voice looks like now um mm -hmm. this is the most unfiltered that i've ever been uh but that said you know it's it's because of like i mentioned previously the context we carved out for a book like exterminators mm -hmm. to exist and um i i can't say that it's it's a new standard um just like I, I approach every new gig with kind of a different lens for it, depending mm -hmm. on what's going on in the rest of the line and uh, like what the book itself is, that kind of thing. Um, you know, like I need to be adaptable as a writer and kind of stretch myself to fit different molds. Um, mm. So it's miraculous that Exterminators even exists considering, you know, how, much of my voice uh it is um how much of my unfiltered voice uh but that is definitely i i don't think the norm for most creators mm -hmm. well regardless okay. uh, i i'm really grateful that you had the opportunity here to to put this book out i'm excited to see how it ends having not read it and uh i'm always excited to see whatever you're doing next um Zach, do you want to jump to Twitter questions? Do you? Do I, don't, you want to... I don't have any other questions. Lee, is there questions we should ask you besides what we've already <laughs> asked you? Like, is there? Is we have there a couple really good to, like, Twitter go questions. Off about? Um, like, just I don't know. Explosions. We already covered. We explosions can talk about the fact that Carlos has developed a crush on Boom Boom through drawing uh, this book. <laughs> oh, has he? Has he? Yeah. Do you feel like? Do you feel like there's going to be a new appreciation of people having a crush on Boom Boom? This fictional oh, 100%, character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a I, he, there's a lot. It, even just from like we kind of knew she was going to be the runaway fan favorite, but even just from the preview pages that were released, like the dialogue list preview pages, uh, Boom Boom got the biggest pop from people because we've kind of, you know, um, given her a makeover. She's a uh, very high femme uh, wearing like a mini dress and platform mm -hmm. sneakers and knee socks, pigtails like she looks fabulous super girly like there's there's a there's an artist i have been listening to recently she's got big like scream queen energy to her in mm -hmm, all of her mm -hmm. looks right now yeah that's that's a good comparison uh and we we noticed this even during like the drawing stage mm -hmm. when uh i think it was around drawing page like 
12 or 13 that Carlos developed a crush on Boom Boom and it became really <laughs> evident. And I, I have some examples of how it became evident, which is by the time we completed issue one's art, Carlos had been asked no less than five times to lower her hemline uh, <laughs> slightly so that her whole ass isn't hanging out. And um, I, uh, there's a page I, I think that was released as one of the preview pages. We see Boom Boom in this kind of like gross, swampy bog filled mm-hmm. with ghouls. And she looks incredible. Like she's in the most disgusting environment and, you know, it even looks smelly, but she is so sexy. And I complimented Carlos on this and he replied back like, ha ah, yeah, she's the star of the book. <laughs> <laughs> and Jordan and I were just like, we didn't have the heart to tell him otherwise, you know, like sure, Carlos. Yeah. She's a star now. And there would be panels where I would, cause like I, you know, I, most of the time I leave it up to the artist, how they want to frame things, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I provide kind of the surrounding action in case they want to include other details as part of the context of what's happening in a certain panel. So I gave a panel description that was like, okay, you know, Dazzler and Jubilee are talking in front of this crashed car. Um, and that's the story. Like that's what's happening. But if this is wide enough, then we would also see boom, boom puking in the background because she's concussed. (laughs) And, um, when we got the art back for it, it was just like boom, boom, looking beautiful puking front and center (laughs) dazzler and jubilee having the important uh like plot conversation and i just think it's so funny you know like carlos must have looked at that panel description and was like nay nay best girl (laughs) is right up front actually even if she's puking i like that i like that energy because i think it i think it's oddly very in line with boom boom as a character she tends she's to very easy over. to fall in love with i mean i i think of it and i'm gonna i'm gonna get leah i'm gonna get analytical here Ooh. uh I you're gonna do she, what people you said people would not do with this book i said people shouldn't do it when have i listened <laughs> to my own advice <laughs> but tabby has always been a character that steals the spotlight when she shows up she became the you know center of what's his name the beyonders world when she first appears she takes over completely skip from skids when she joins uh the x-factor book she becomes the secret star of x-men evolution when she's in that book she gets all of the best lines in something like uh in something like next wave like she becomes the center she becomes she becomes the her and glob but mostly her become the center of what Ed Brisson did with New Mutants back when he was doing it. I think she demands a presence in a story that's using her well. And that's a beautiful thing to happen in this book. Yeah. And I would also say that Jubilee very similarly is that kind of character where, you know, in in the stories where she's featured, she's a scene stealer. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very high energy and has a great personality, and you know gets all of these like great quippy one liners. So my experience writing exterminators is you know immediately the two of them become 
this sort of like high energy equilibrium hmm. where, you know, I thought that Boom Boom was going to be the runaway fan favorite, you know, for every issue. But then looking at issue two, it was like, okay, Jubilee's taking this one. And there, there is a sort of balance uh, with the cast. Like they're all getting their moments to shine and their hero moments and their funny dialogue. You know, even Laura, when she kind of warms up um, to uh, Boom Boom and Dazzler, who she's not as close with as she is with Jubilee, uh, like she starts to reveal her humor, which is very dry and, uh, you know, witty, deadpan humor. <laughs> you know, I, I think you could describe uh, Jubilee and Boom Boom in this book of the as the uh, Stouter and Waldorf of, uh, of Hot Explodey Mutant Girls. The what? Statler and Waldorf uh, from the Muppets. Stadler and Waldorf. Leah, do, oh, you not, yes. do you not know the Muppets? The very famous puppets? You just Kermit said it. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I would say Thing 1 and Thing 2. I, hmm. Yeah. Because either way, Dazzler would either be the cat in the hat or the Miss Piggy in that situation, depending on which analogy you're going with. And then... <laughs> I guess Laura would either be whatever the fish's name is in Cat in the Hat that's always mad at the kids for not doing the fun stuff, or she's Kermit. I oh, I kind of want to go with Kermit. I guess Kermit is, if anyone's the Wolverine of the Muppets, it is Kermit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That I was either going that or uh, Scooter, but I I don't think I don't think Laura is manic enough to be Scooter. No. No. no, scooters. No. Scooters always She's very uh, even keeled. Yeah, it doesn't match up. Which, she is, but I also I also feel like she, of all the people in the situation, she wants to be in the situation the least. I feel like everyone else, even if they don't want to be in this vampire grindhouse situation, they can find the joy in it. Where Wolverine is like, guys, I, I want to go home. <laughs> I want to do something that doesn't involve this. I want to just like chill. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're correct. And Jubilee even kind of gives her a hard time about that in issue four. Like, you know, this is the most fun that you've ever had on a mission. And Laura's like, this isn't a mission. My arm got cut off. What are you talking about? And Jubilee's like, my point stands. When have you had more fun than this? And it is true that she's having a lot of fun because this isn't a formal, like, X-Men mission. Um mm-hmm. It's this is how these people hang out and have fun. Like, yes, they were uh, trafficked and kidnapped and drugged and are made to fight all of these creatures, but they're having a good time. And that's what matters. You know what? I think having a good time is really all that matters at the end of the day. Let's just a very hedonistic, nihilistic worldview, which is just have a good time. And I think this book provides that. But do you know what else also provides uh, the world's most hedonistic and nihilistic worldview, Leah? Twitter. Yes, thank you. You got it. You got it. Uh, and, <laughs> and the hedonist over on Twitter did have a couple of questions for you. This comes from uh, Valentine Smut Wunf, who says, Hello, longtime listener, first time caller. Laura and Allison are doing squats with Jubilee and Tabitha wrapped around their shoulders, respectively instead of weights who on team exterminators can do the most reps laura easily no question okay 
like she has, you know, regenerative abilities. So her muscles don't get as like burdened with lactic acid buildup sure. as like a normal body would. Um, so she can just keep going and keep going. But do you think, do you think Allison can do a surprising number of squats? She can, she can. And this is canon now because I included it in this book. She's been lifting <laughs> weights. She goes to the gym. Good for she works her. Out. She's looking good. good for her. And she's doing it for her, and that, I think, is really important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Leah, uh, Kyle still asks, what's your favorite social media follow, non-comics related? Well, I'm only really active on Instagram, and I think that, actually, let me pull up the accounts. Um, oh, no. I follow some uh, design accounts that are a lot of fun. Let's see. Cindy Green NYC is one of them, uh, run by Cindy Green, a designer and the founder of Sable Studios. And uh, she just curates a lot of really amazing architecture. Um, Oh, this is nice. And Juxtapose Mag. uh, Always a good pick. J-U-X-T-A-P-O-Z is the name of the magazine um and their handle is oh and and it's it's just that mag for their instagram handle and uh they curate a lot of like really off the wall amazing fine art and Mm -hmm. uh pop art and it's just like fun every time i see it come up in my instagram feed this looks you know what leah i was really afraid of what your instagram feed may uh you know, show given as as you may know, and our listeners wouldn't. Uh, I've had a bad experience uh, with finding just the worst stuff on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to I have had to purge this to uh, to make my brain better most of the time, uh, and I I have done this and fallen back into the trap multiple times. So I'm glad to glad to hear that you are being healthier with your Instagram choices. I am. I try to curate a feed that is going to provide me with, you know, something new and inspiring and uh, kind of takes me out of my my comfort zone comics wise specifically. Like I, I want to be exposed to lots of art and culture kind of outside my own. Mm-hmm. Nice. Now, is there is there specific art or culture that you are exposing yourself to outside of comics right now that you are really enjoying? Splatoon. <laughs> yes, the cultural touchstone of our generation. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, Nintendo's third-person shooter game. Know, the thing that people may not know is that in Splatoon, you can make a choice, and you can be a kid now, and then you can be a squid now. Oh, you can be a kid or a squid, depending on how you feel. Nice. Uh, Asimov fangirl does ask, uh, which members of the Exterminators watch anime? Uh, Laura and Jubilee. I think that Dazzler has probably seen some standouts, you know, ones that uh, most people have heard of and enjoyed, like Attack on Titan, um, that kind of thing. Uh, You think think Dazzler's watched Attack on Titan? I do. I do. (laughs) Okay. I I was leaning in the music in Attack on Titan fucking slaps. She has absolutely watched Attack on Titan. Okay. Listen, I. I'm going to take your word for it. Uh, I don't She's know what the writer. 
know she's the writer. <laughs> he is the writer. You're not the writer. I know she's the writer. And I believe in death of the writer. Look, I'm not, not saying Dazzler's a weeb. I'm saying she is cultured. <laughs> like, she is has... Titan culture? Yes. Yes. Okay. I don't know. I, I, do not, I do not watch this thing. Any anime that is really popular on like mainstream uh, streaming services like Netflix or Hulu, stuff like that, she would have been exposed to. Like, you know, she didn't have to go looking for that. It's not mm-hmm. outside the realm of possibility that she would have just clicked on it on Netflix and started watching it and be like, wow, this is interesting. <laughs> Do you think Dazzler would cover a Strange Angel's thesis for like an encore or something if she was doing like a big tour? Wait, that's not the name of it. That's what's not the what name? it's called. What's the name of the anime song, Adam? Are you talking about the Neon Genesis Evangelion yes. song? Yes. I don't he know. He is. Something, something thesis. There's an uh, angel having a thesis somewhere. <laughs> I, I think that she would do it if requested, but she's not going to arrive at that song naturally of her own accord. Because that's kind of an older anime that I don't think she would be able to stumble upon quite the same way she would attack on Titan or something like that. However, Laura Kinney knows every single word to that song and pops (laughs) the fuck off whenever she hears it. Just to be clear, so that the people stop yelling at their cell phones right now, it is a cruel angel. Cruel angel, yes. Okay, we have more questions. Someone just says thank you for that Slack picture you posted about uh, the meme of the madman from Madman saying that they should give Dazzler an absolute dump truck ass. You're welcome. That, okay. <laughs> that was oh, my pitch people. for this book to Hickman. Just me wordlessly sending him a meme, like a Mad Men meme where it's John Hamm pointing to <laughs> um, a display board, except I'm John Hamm. Oh, there it is. Yeah. And the display board says uh we give dazzler an absolute dump truck ass and the best part of this screenshot because it is um my conversation with jonathan hickman in his dms is he replied to me i like this and i want to upvote it but i want to also remind you that you can always go bigger (laughs) whoever said that jonathan hickman didn't have a sense of humor He's so I said that. I said that a lot, actually. I regretted it. I found out I was wrong. He's so fucking funny. Hey, when so, you're, when question you're about John Hamm. So, long. so John Hamm was in Hellfire Gala, and then we, we recently learned- Yes, X-Men that, character John Hamm. That Jerry- yes. Definitely not there just because he's Jerry's friend. Yeah, so Jerry knows John Hamm. Does, does everybody get to like know John Hamm because of Jerry? Or, or is John Hamm like just still a is distant John person? Is John Hamm in the X Slack with you right now? <laughs> is John Hamm in the room with you right now? Where is Thanks John twice. Hamm at this moment? Did you adopt John Hamm as a? <laughs> Are you keeping John Hamm prisoner in your home? I don't Do we know need what to call the authorities. Are 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 you a? Uh... Well, you know what? John Hamm was on the Legally an X-Men TV show Legion as an uncredited voiceover for the entire second season. So he does have the credentials to be in that office, I think. He's like a comics guy. You know, he loves comics. He uh, especially loves a lot of X-Men titles. So he's reading the books. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's Man. Hey, John, hey, John, 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 if you're listening, what's up? He's you not. <laughs> 
Yeah. He's filming a progressive commercial uh, and promoting his Fletch movie. So let's. We understand we would be the third most likely X Men podcast <laughs> to be listening to. It's fine. We're all past it. Lady Lar, I guess that's short for Lara, uh, asks if the girlies were to have a karaoke night, what would be each character's song choice? I have playlists for each of these characters, and I know that. Um, if I like open Spotify and looked at those right now, I'd be able to immediately pick out some songs. Um, but we, let's do can this we just the hard talk way. About the playlist for a second, because oh sure, you did reveal a while back a ninety song exterminators playlist, and I, I was just blown away by like how many songs were on this thing. I, I had this playing in my. It's like a five hour pl- uh, playlist. It was pretty great. It's uh, the short version (laughs) of my writing playlist for this book. So I did the same thing with X Factor where I'll have like one kind of really large sandbox, like 24 hours long, um, where I stash all the relevant vibes for the book that I'm writing. And then I will cull it down to a little more manageable five-hour playlist, uh, like the Exterminators one. Right. uh, And then use that for marketing purposes. Like, I think that playlists are really great as a shorthand for distilling ambience and atmosphere and also you know just communicating that to readers long before the book is ever out like here's here's the vibes here's a collection of songs that i think are reminiscent of the book and i hope you enjoy um and that playlist is uh not necessarily the same as my character playlists which are you know I've been making for years now uh, and are songs that I think the characters would actually listen to. Um, Not songs that remind me of the character, but like this is the music I think Dazzler would be into. This is the music that I think Laura would be into. Um, So that said, uh, the first thing that comes to mind karaoke wise is Laura's going to do House of the Rising Sun. (laughs) Yep. Yep, she is. She's going to be that. I did not expect you to say that. I love it. Um, <laughs> like, no question. Uh, I think Dazzler would do something a little campy, but still shows off her vocal range. So, probably Jolene. Nice. Good choice. That, that's a song that could, like, calm some frost giants or something. I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Boom Boom is going to go with something unexpected, uh, but she's going to be so good at it that people are like, okay, okay. Like, um, she's going to rap a Macklemore song, (laughs) but like actually make it good. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And Jubilee... That's a tough one. My impression of Jubilee's music taste, I think that she likes hyper pop and um, like R&B and a lot of really fun stuff. I might actually have to consult my playlist for this one. Uh Oh, I know. I know. I'm pulling out the big guns. Oh, she's going to do. Yeah. First song on this playlist. She's going to do Decepticon. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. Duh. (laughs) I love it. That's that's. 
that's fun. We got, I think fun is exactly what people can expect from this book. Uh, it comes out Wednesday. Uh, anything you want to yell at people to tell them to do and plug? People always listen to what people say on podcasts. It's a rule, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, just check out the book and uh, have fun reading it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And um, any idea, are you allowed to say anything else that you're working on or uh, things that we might expect in the future? Um, I I am working on uh, some more stuff and um, nothing that has been announced or that I could tease, but I'll say that uh, people are going to be super excited. Yes. Um, it's It's a pivot. It's a hard pivot, but a great one. Oh, that's exciting. I like that. You know what? I'm always excited for more Leah Williams content in my day-to-day life. And I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure the thriving masses are as well. Uh, Adam, anything you need to plug? Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So, folks, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Uh, this week, I think coming out the day after this episode comes out, um, I was on uh, the TV trivia pod. That's what it is. And I talked, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but the episode's actually coming out. So uh, if you would like to hear me answer random trivia questions about the absolutely terrible Will Ferrell movie, Land of the Lost, uh, <laughs> this is one of the weirdest guest spots I've ever done, but uh, it was a lot of fun. So if uh, you'd, you'd like a little more me in your life, uh, you can go check that out. And Zach, uh, anything you got going on? Yeah, everyone, keep uh, your eyes peeled because Wednesday I have a comics-related interview, but also, excitingly for me, not fully comics-related. That may be, Leah, again, earmuffs, the most exciting interview I've ever done. So For Zach, it is 100% the most exciting thing I think Zach I'm has so ever happy. done in his I'm life. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. <laughs> uh, and I can't technically say what it is yet, uh, but keep your eyes out on Wednesday uh, on the Comics XF feed. Uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be fun for me and maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe people. Is, if you listen, if you were a teen around two thousand five, and you were involved in some of the uh, in some of the warp tour scenes, like if you went down to the local boat club and saw some terrible <laughs> screamo bands, you're gonna love this interview. Uh, but that's what we got, folks. Leah, thank you again so much for being on. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to uh, when we do this again in another year. <laughs> it'll be, it'll be, uh, you know what? It's going to be a good time. It always is. Uh, next week, folks, we've got what? We got X Men the End next week? No, we don't have X Men the for- End. We do have X Men forever. We've got X Men Forever, which is a different. oddly similar comic that Chris Claremont did at the same time. But until then, folks, this has been Bally Adam. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!